Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. I want to join with Brian and Lisa say and thank you to all of you who make it so possible, all the volunteers and it's amazing what God is doing all over the world. To see um, the tithes and the offering don't stop here, so um, we've, we've just been able to bless and see God multiply that. Um, I wanted to uh, add a couple of uh, announcements. It's been, uh, it's been quite a week. The, uh, Pastor Willie and Pastor Nilsa are in Florida. Nilsa's brother passed away this week. He had been sick, so uh, they're in Florida now for the funeral there, the memorial service. Um, we also had, some of you know, Cal Dodd, Ann Dodd's husband, uh, talked to Ann Monday. Cal passed away this week as well, and uh, he had been struggling, had been sick. We're going to have um, a memorial service. The whole family is going to get together on April 5th. There'll be more information of that. Uh, April 5th at 1 o'clock here. Uh, we'll have a time of gathering. So right after church, we'll get set up, and we'll need the hospitality team to head, set us up because the family is going to fly in. Some of them are going to fly in and fly out. But Cal and Ann have been um, loving members of our church and house for many years. Um, we also had Dwight Dieters. Some of you know Angie and Dwight, who came here for several years. They've been gone a couple of years. Um, Dwight suddenly got sick and within a few days passed away from cancer. And uh, I'll be joining with Jennifer Costell today over at Cobble Ward near the mall on uh, Oleander. Uh, 3 o'clock is the viewing and 4 o'clock is the memorial service for that, if you um, would like to come to that. Um, also... Um, Kent Powell called me or texted me from Mozambique. He got word that his dad uh, is being prepared for hospice. So uh, we need some funds to fly him back. And I said, hey, just come. We'll get you, we'll get you some money and fly back. So um, they've been struggling ever since uh, the solar system went out there. They had so we had bought some solar panels there. So he's in the midst of right now, and his generator went down. So they've been challenged. He got bit by a scorpion. And so other than that, you know, no trials or tribulations at all. Um, so anyway, just be praying for them as well, and uh, I'll get some more information on that. On a positive note, we prayed for John last week. Tammy was released from the hospital. They had been T-boned in a car accident a week ago, and um, the person driving the car was on their cell phone, went through the intersection and hit them. Tammy had broken hips, pelvis, broken ribs. John had broken ribs. Um, we were able, thank you again for your support, we were able to put them up in a, when she got discharged from the hospital after multiple surgeries, uh, we put them up in a hotel, and they've now been successfully relocated with family in South Carolina to recover. So God is good there, and uh, Got a lot of uh, thanks on just helping that all come about. I remember, you know, they have an interesting testimony. I won't go into it, but I remember the week before the, the accident, they were right here together praying, and a week later. So you never know what's going to happen, right? Um, and we pray for the person who was in the car driving with them. I believe her name was Barbara. She was in intensive care and life support the last I heard. So we pray for her as well. So, other than that, um, praise God. We thank the Lord that He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above everything we'd ask or even think about, right? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank You this morning for Your Word is true, and it's full of living power. Hebrews 4.12 says, the Word of God is 
full of living power. And it's able to cut between the soul and the spirit. So, Lord, you, you equip us right now. We ask that you would transform through the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for those listening by live stream as well. They may be shut in or not here, but, Lord, we just thank you that you're able to minister among us here. Holy Spirit, come with your presence and your power. In Jesus' name. We spent two weeks looking at um, the fire of God to come. What was it going to take for the fire of God to come? And challenged about how are you tending to your fire? Well, I, um, I was coming back from men's group Monday night, and I just said, Lord, what do you want your people to hear? What, is there something you want to share with me that I could share with them and vice versa? And I just heard out of Hebrews eleven six, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And so I just kind of, all week I've been unpacking that and asking, you know, so let me ask you a couple of questions first to get us on the same page. Have you experienced Jesus or have you just read about Him? <laughs> have you had a divine encounter or do you just have good theology? He was asking me that. I was like, oh, yeah. You see, true relationship and true revelation comes from experience. When I married my wife, I didn't want to just read about her. Hello? Right? And so, after 46 and a half years, um, we've done a lot of life together. There's been lots of joy struggles, pain, loss, victory, but we did it together. And you know what? I was thinking about this. There's no other human being on the face of the earth that I trust more than my wife. She's trustworthy. I know how she's going to listen and think and, and react. <laughs> I know what can annoy her. You know, I, I, I know how to, you know. Um, not that I want to, but sometimes, guys, we just do it, right? That's why Jesus told us we need a helper. I tell her sometimes, help, help me, help me. It's in the book. <laughs> Choices and diligence in relationship. Relationship's really hard. It's just hard. It'll cost you something. Let's, uh, let's look at this journey of diligence and how it happened. I want to use Peter as an example. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 5 with me, Peter's such a great example um, because he messed it up a lot. <laughs> he was the, you know, the boisterous one. He was the one, uh, but he also did a lot of great, he got, you know, a bishop shared Wednesday night. That was so great Wednesday night on the study. Oh my, it, I just encourage you to get the study. We're going to finish that up this week. But it was, Peter was the one that got out of the boat, right? Um, he did mess it up a number of times. He was also the one that had the revelation of Jesus, that he was the Messiah, he also got rebuked by Jesus, told, called him Satan to get behind me when he told, tried to talk him out of going to the cross. So you look at Luke 5. This is the start, and this is kind of all of us have a story to tell, the journey of our testimony. It says in verse 1, Luke 5, 1, one day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the Word of God. You hear this morning, 
and I pray that you're going to hear the Word of God. It starts with, you got to hear the Word, right? If you don't hear the Word, it says, then how can they come if they don't hear? And how can they come unless someone is sent, right? And so you have to get to the place where the Word is being preached. And so he noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, Peter, its owner, to push the boat out in the water, and he preached the crowds there, and he taught them there. Verse 4, it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out deeper and let down your nets so that you can catch fish. Master Simon, Peter said, We worked hard all last night, and we didn't catch anything. But if you'll say so, I'll let the nets down. King James says net, <laughs> I'll let the net down. In other words, so one boat stays there. James and John are there cleaning up. Peter pushes out, becomes obedient, and let, he says, I'll let down the net, King James says, right? So he's like, yeah, right, we're probably not going to catch anything. He lets one net down. You know what happens? There's such a large catch, he calls to the other fishermen, James and John, get your other boat out here. Get, and the fish load is so big, both boats are about to sink, right? And so he says, Master, um, if you say so, so the catch is so big, the nets are about to tear. Verse 7, he shouts for help from his partners to bring the other boat. Soon both boats are filled to the point of the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell to his knees. And he said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner. See, God met him right where he was in his profession. I love that. Big catch. Imagine working all night. And so there's several questions here. It says, they were awestruck by the number of fish. All of them were. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also were amazed. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. I'm going to make you an evangelist. <laughs> and as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed him. Now, here's the question. One, are you getting the word? Because Peter had to hear the word. Where are you getting the word from? Um, can Jesus use your boat? If he asked for your boat, would you let him use your boat? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? I've been working all night. I'm cleaning up the stuff. Now you want me to do it again? Will you be inconvenienced? He wants us to be. Make, make room for you to be inconvenienced. It's like, it's your boat, Lord. I'll, it's my boat, but you can use it. I'll go out. Can you go out deeper with him? <laughs> See, the revelation of all that comes when we start the journey. He could have said, look, no, you can't use my boat. Go, go preach from the shore. So he pushed out and said, yeah, you can use my boat. Staying up all night and then following the Lord. So we see Peter through this trial of pride. He, he argued with the other guys, I'm the greatest in the kingdom. We know that he denied. We also know that he said, I'll die with you. They may deny you, but I won't. I'll fight and die for you. We know that when they came to arrest Jesus, he pulls out the sword. Peter's the one who pulls out the sword and cuts off the high priest's ear, Malchus's ear, and Jesus has put up the sword. Now, G Peter's confused, right? He's like, I'm, I'm willing he goes, put it up. You're going to die by the sword. He heals Malchus's ear, which ought to get you. I don't know how they arrested him after that, right? <laughs> At that point, they're under orders from the high priest, bring him here. And so 
But then when he sees Jesus powerless in that he saw them multiply food, raise the dead. He'd seen it all, but now he sees Jesus submitted to the hands of the rulers who are going to crucify him. And it, 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 it bothered Peter to the point where this is not the way that I pictured it would go. And now he denies Christ, even denies and curses that he even knows Christ three times. It was prophesied he would do that, right? So Peter's all confused, and then he quits the ministry again. He goes back to fishing. And after the resurrection, there's a repeat. Jesus is standing on the shore, and they're out fishing. He, he went back to his old way. What you catching? <laughs> and John says, it's the Lord. Peter puts on his tunic, jumps in the water, and gets to the shore. Jesus has got a fish cooking for him. And he asks probably the most relevant question ever. Peter, do you love me? Do you still love me, Peter? Three times, three denials, three questions. And that final one is the agape word in the Greek. Do you love me so much in a God love that you'll now feed my sheep and feed my lambs? And he said, yes. And then he prophesies, you're going to go now, and when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. He prophesied that at that point, we know from history that Nero, Emperor Nero, at the same night that he cut the head off of Paul, he crucified Peter upside down. And so he becomes the martyr of that. He, he finally never denied Christ. But do you see the journey? Do you see the journey from the arrogant, prideful fisherman who, through all of that, making choices, messing it up, the grace of God, moving him into that direction of a diligent seeker of God? What a great story for us, because we all got attributes of all that stuff, right? Um, I want you to see his last book that he wrote just before he died. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. This was written somewhere, uh, the, the theologians and the historians say, between 65 and 68 A.D. So we're about 30 years past. So Peter's had a lot of going on, right? Lots have happened since the resurrection of Christ and the ascension to the heavens. And Peter now writes in 2 Peter... Let's pick up in um, verse 3. By His divine power, 2 Peter 1, 3, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Boy, you could say lot right on there. I can't live godly life. God, the devil made me do it. Bah. We have received all this by coming to know Him. The one who called us himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Then he goes on and he looks at the excellent promises and the enablement and the journey of moral excellence, patience, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, love for everyone. Boy, does that sound like the old Peter? <laughs> he looks like he learned something, right? But let's look at verse 10. Brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Work hard? Wait a minute, I thought this salvation stuff was a gift. It is, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. But there's something about once you're in and your name's in the book, there better be some proof. This is that you provide the sacrifice, he provides the fire. There's something about diligence and earnestly seeking that has proof. So we, we see this. The King James says it this way in verse 10, the second Peter 1.10, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. So it goes on, it says in the New Living, Do these things and you'll never fall away. Then God will give you the grand entrance into the eternal. What's a grand entrance? You know, we, we laugh about Peter at the pearly gates. That sounds like a grand entrance. Neil's here, right? It's like, wow, grand entrance. What would that be like? My son and daughter is here. I've been waiting, right? He goes on, and now listen to the rest of the story. I want you to see the experiential thing. See, it's one thing to have good theology about God, but it's another thing to have an experience. You can't talk a person out of their experience. Someone said they'll give you this argument about theology, and God does this, and there's no hell here, and and. and God doesn't heal today. I, man, I've been bashing with that one. That's got to be heresy. God doesn't. I said, really? Well, how come the tumor that was laying on the floor when we laid hands on her, or the blind eye that was black was white and now is brown and can see? You tell me that I didn't see that in Jesus' name. Or the demonized person who was so wrapped up in their torment when Jesus came in and set them free and tell me it didn't happen? When you look at their life long term and the fruit of that, come on. Experiential power of God. Now look, look at Peter's experience. I, I love this one. Somewhere in the journey, just before, if you look at in the, in the Gospels, just before Jesus comes down off the mount in, in Mark 9, and in the nine disciples that are back down off the mountain, he takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain for the Mount of Transfiguration. I'm not sure why he took the three inner guys. That's for him to decide. But he's got Peter, James, and John. Now we know John's going to write the book. He's going to be the oldest, only surviving disciple that's not martyred. He writes the book of Revelation. So he's got a purpose. Peter is going to be the rock that he builds on. And James is going to be the first one martyred, killed by Herod. So they're up on the mount, and the Father shows up. They're up there. The Father shows up. It says a cloud comes, and there's a voice from the cloud that says, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So Peter's like, whoa, right? And then he looks up, and he sees Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus. Now, that'll mess you up, right? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those guys are still alive, right? And there's, a, there's an opening in heaven, and they witness it. Peter witnesses it. John talked about it, and Peter talked about it, and it's written in his last epistle just before he dies. Listen to this. This is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I always remind you about these things, even though I've already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For the Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave the earthly life. So I work hard 
to make sure you always remember these things after I'm gone. Verse 16, for we were not making up clever stories. This is not a story of theology. We're not making this clever story up about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. When He received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to Him, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard the voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. Christ, the morning star, shines in, a, in your hearts above all. You must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human nature, initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Peter said, look, I saw it. I was there. I was there when the Father spoke. That's why he's willing to be crucified and martyred. That's why he was willing to pay that price. This wasn't some theology written in the Old Testament books of the old prophets. He was there. That's why this divine encounter is so important for us to be able to be eyewitnesses. Bill Johnson wrote this, and I like it. Let me just, one of our spiritual papas. True learning comes in the form of an experience, not in just the concept itself. Tragically, many stop short of a divine encounter because they're satisfied with good theology. One is a concept in Scripture, and it can be shared with others even though there's no personal experience to back it up. Often we become guilty of only looking for something to happen to us that's on our list that we constitute a biblical encounter. The list of various experiences discovered in Scripture, they don't just contain God, they reveal Him. In other words, He's bigger than His book. He's not limited to doing the same thing over and over this way, that. He continues to be creative each time with each one of us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 4 and 6, it says, talks about New Testament, Old Testament. You heard this word before, the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. That's the King James. The Old Covenant ends in death. The New Covenant, the Spirit gives life. And so that's why we're in pursuit of the Holy Spirit and that relationship with God, right? Well, let's unpack this because if we're going to be the rewarders receiving from God, then there's got to be a diligent seeking. And what does Scripture say about those? And what does a reward look like? And what does it not look like? Wouldn't that be good to know? So let's turn. Turn with me to Genesis 25. And let me start with the, the bad news first. You've all heard of Esau, right? He was the twin brother of Jacob, right? Abraham, Isaac. Isaac had two twins. First he waited and, and uh, Isaac had the two twins and got the, the inheritance. Well, let's pick up in Genesis 25 and verse 27. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skilled hunter. He was an outdoorsman. Jacob 
was the quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game that Esau brought home. But his wife, Rebecca, loved Jacob. Well, we got some issues going on here, right? One day when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his name Edom, which means red. Verse 31, all right, Jacob said, but trade me your, your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? Jacob said, first you're going to swear you're going to give me your birthright. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his birthright as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentils. Esau ate the meal, got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Now, I, I said, boy, Lord, Esau was pretty dumb, <laughs> right? I said, that, that's not really, I mean, I can understand being hungry and famished, and yet, and he didn't understand or appreciate the right of a birthright. Do you, and then the Lord started to speak to me. Do you understand your privilege in your birthright as being a son of the Most High God? Do you understand that principle? I said, God, when you ask me questions like that, I know you're about to reveal something to me. He goes, you look somewhat like contempt at Esau, like he's, he's like this fleshly kind of character. What about you and others? I said, whoa, Lord, what do you mean? Have you ever traded your rights and your relationship in close proximity to God for a drunk, for a high, for an orgasm? Hello? For gossip, for hatred, for unforgiveness. Have you traded that birthright that you are commanded not to give up, be in relationship with God, but you love yourself more than you love me? By that time, I'm on my face. Hello? So, the Lord is saying, you've got to overcome this flesh. You've got to overcome these things that, these illegitimate desires that come between me and you. And the deception that's there, like we read last week in Laodicean Church in Revelation 3, they thought they were okay. But he said, no, you're really blind and wretched and naked, and you need, you need to buy some gold from me. So look at your handout. I told you the bad news was coming. Hang on, the good news is coming, right? God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Well, let's look at the diligent seekers for a moment. If you'll go down a little further in Genesis 25. Actually, let's... Let's turn back to, let me start in Genesis chapter 5. Let's go there. Here's, here's a guy that walked with God, was a righteous one, Enoch. This is the first rapture, by the way. If you want to know how to get raptured, pay attention. In Genesis 5, we see here that in verse 21... Enoch was 65 years old when he gave birth to Methuselah. After the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close relationship and fellowship with God 
for another 300 years. Can you imagine walking in close relationship with God for that long? <laughs> and it said in verse 21, Enoch lived then, and he walked in fellowship, and then one day he disappeared because God took him. He was translated. King James says he was translated, right? And so we, we look at this and says, well, what, what caused that rapture of Enoch? He walked with God in close fellowship. What does that look like? Sounds like a diligent seeker maybe of God, right? Looking to please him. Um, well, let's take a look at Noah. Go to chapter 6, Genesis. Kind of scroll down there a little bit. And you'll see that in verse 5, Genesis 6, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything in thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Yipes. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them, and he ever put them on earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I'm going to wipe out the human race and that I've created on the face of the earth. I'm going to destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, small animals that scurry along the grounds, even the birds in the sky. I'm sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. King James says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, righteousness is such a protection. Go on, it says this. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Verse 9, he was a righteous man and the only blameless person living on the earth at that time and he, worked, he walked in close fellowship with God. Now, if you read the rest of the story, guess what? He has three sons who also have three wives and he has his own wife. None of them are listed as righteous. But here's the blessing of God. Righteousness has a collateral blessing over those who have family walk with God. All eight of them get saved as a result of one. That goes in line with Abraham. He, he argues with God, are you going to destroy Sodom? What if there's 50? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? There's got to be 10, right? What if there's 10? He says, you're right. I'll spare it for 10. There wasn't 10. He still rescues Lot and his, Right? because he was righteous. See, if you want to, we won't turn there, but in Revelation 3.10, this is the promise to those who are waiting for the rapture. He goes on, it says, if you keep, since you've kept my command and you have persevered, I will keep you from the day of judgment that's coming on the earth to test them all. Righteousness, I'm preaching right now that if you'll walk in righteousness, you'll cover your family. And there'll be collateral blessing that will come, and it will be the preparation of when he comes, and he says, come up hither, right? But if you wink at this stuff and say, well, I'll just trade my birthright, guess what? It's going to be a sorrowful day. Okay, so the good news is there are righteous people, and praise God, they keep their family covered. Look at the top of your outline. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. Yes. Are you pleasing God? Tom, are you pleasing God? See, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. That word sincerely, it's got different adjectives, diligent, earnest, hunger. 
So how sincere are you? How hungry are you? How earnest are you? Well, we know I shared this last week, number two there. I just listed, how do we please God? Well, we know that Cornelius did it. He was a Roman soldier. Pat always likes that he's Italian. He's, in a, he's of the Italian regiment, right? And so, by the way, I got meatballs out of that, praise God. And so, God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, it's, it's, he goes on, he says that Cornelius was a devout man and his whole household. And he gave prayers and he gave alms to the poor and God noticed it. God recognizes the prayers that are given and the caring and the gifting of those who take care of others. It draws him. It says, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro on the earth, wanting to show himself strong in someone. So he's watching. And those who please him, that's why he noticed Noah. He noticed Enoch, right? And it was years of that walking with them. It took many years for for Noah to build the boat, and he must have stayed righteous because he built it, right? All right, well, so we know that wholehearted search, Jeremiah 29 says it this way, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to not harm you. When you search for me and seek for me with your whole heart, you will find me, and then I will destroy the strongholds of your captivity and restore your fortunes. So I don't care where you've fallen from, Jesus is able if you'll diligently seek him, right? Okay, well, what does that look like? What does favor look like? Man, the list could go on. I just started. It says, first of all, Moses said, you said I found favor with you. That's in 3A. If I found favor with you, God, then we're not going unless you go with us. And unless you show us your ways, if if I've really found favor with you, show me your ways that I might be able to find more favor and do what pleases you. Of course, we know the cloud and the, it, he went with them. How about legacy? We see this, Hannah gave her son Samuel. She's barren and she says, God, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to you. He becomes one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. That's legacy. How about David? King David has a grandson, many generations, Josiah. We see that, right, in Second Chronicles 34. Josiah was a young boy when his, he takes over and he reverses all the curses of witchcraft that his grandfather, had, Manassas, had put up. And he, he actually does such a marvelous, wonderful restoration to Israel. That's legacy. That sounds a lot like the sins of the father that visit to the third and fourth generation. He says, I will not hold a family harmless to the sins. This is in Exodus 20, verse 5. It's in the Ten Commandment list. But nobody wants to read the rest of it. It says, I will bring on the family the results of the sins of a father for three and four generations. But I'll bless to a thousand generations those who love me. The consequences of a lot of this sin we're seeing now that are being promoted all over the place, this legacy of sin, that has consequences. You wonder why a generation's all confused about their identity? Because we've opened the door to all this craziness that does not line up with this. And it'll visit. It'll cause more and more. And then that generation gets, it's, it's headed down a road where he's not going to have much choice but to come on back and take care of this mess. All right? Anointing. We see that. David gets anointed. Victory and restoration. 
David's victory over the Amalekites, he, he, Israel's restored. If you really want, we won't take the time. But in Deuteronomy 4, I had someone, I was on an hour and a half phone call yesterday from a person in another state was getting discipled. He said, I have a lot of questions about the Scripture I'm reading. So, well, let's do it. And so, one of the questions is, why does God seem like He's angry in the Old Testament? Well, He's a lot to be angry about. <laughs> let's start with that. Um, he's a God that is just. He's both good and He's severe. One day, He's really going to bring people and throw them into the fire because they'll have had their choice, and they made their choice. Well, God's too loving. He would never do that. That's not in the book. In fact, three times He speaks of the fire and hell, three times more than He speaks about the blessings of heaven. Why does He do that? Because He's a just God who put the Word out that every book, the best-selling book ever, is right here. But people don't read it, they don't know it, and they don't embrace it. Therefore, the truth is hidden. And so, what God is saying is, I want to tell you what will happen if you follow me, Deuteronomy 4. You read it this week and meditate on it. Deuteronomy chapter 4. You want to know, say, well, why did God let the Holocaust happen? Deuteronomy 4. Read it. When they turn away from God, when He warned them about staying here, I'll bless you. Deuteronomy 28. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. I'll bless you. But if you don't follow me, here's what's going to happen. He told them in advance. He sent prophets to warn them. They still didn't listen. And then he has to be a just God. He says, well, can he just forgive? He does, but he's not having any robots. When he gets to heaven, he wants a family that loved him on purpose. All right, moving right along. He reveals secrets. We, need, we see that. He wants to share secrets with us in, in 3E. Prophecy. He tells us what's going to happen in the last days. We've spent a lot of time in that in the last months. Protection. Promotion. Responsibility. Special abilities. These are the gifts. This morning we all prayed, Holy Spirit, come. Well, now you've got to do something with your gift. Bless others with it. Become a witness. How about a martyr? In K, Stephen, a man filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. He's one of the House of Mercy. He's one of the six men selected for the House of Mercy ministry. And at one point, he's challenged, and they bring him out, and he refuses to be quiet about Jesus, and they stone him to death. That was his witness. That was his diligently seeking. Sons and daughters, eternal life. All right, well, we read about Esau, number four there, trading his birthright. The Holy Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus said that, right? On the night of his betrayal, Jesus warned Peter. He says, Peter, the devil's asked to sift you as wheat. I don't like that. I would like to no. The answer is no, you can't sift them. But hey, we're all going to get sifted. Guess what? You're all going to come under test, right? So this is that place where he says, watch and pray, watch and pray. But they're so tired, they fall asleep. Three times he tries to wake them up. He just had communion with them, and he warned them that I'm about ready to be killed. But they're so weary, they fall asleep three times. Man, I would hope that if I came to you three times, please come and pray with me. Please come and pray. Oh, sorry, pastors. Man, I... I don't, anyway. So then Jesus says, yeah, you get your rest. You're too tired. It's been, you're okay. And he says, he, he makes this quote. The flesh is weak. Spirit would like to, but your flesh is weak. 
That's why we got to have the Holy Ghost. I put that under 4B. I listed there every time the Holy Ghost came in, in power, at least several of them. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said that. Don't leave until he comes. In Acts 8, he came and fell on him. Acts 16, uh, in verse 16, Acts 19, Galatians 5, right? So we have to have the Holy Spirit in order to overcome this flesh. Overcome the Laodicean spirit. That's that, Reve that Revelation 3. Lazy, deceived Christians. Lukewarm, not hot for Jesus. We had this song this morning, a number five there, build your altar, living stones. If you'll provide the fire, we'll provide the sacrifice. I want to close with Isaiah 50. If you'll turn with me, this was in our prayer time on Wednesday. It was so wonderful and powerful. I love our intercessory time, 9 to 1030 on Wednesdays. You're invited to come if you're free. Isaiah 50, this was a word that was shared and it, it was a warning to me when I read it. The person shared out of verse uh, 7 there. It says in Isaiah 50, verse 7, Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a stone, and I've determined to do his will. And I know that I will not be put to shame. But the verse that caught my eye is the last verse. Verse 11, watch out. You will live, you who live in your own light will warm yourselves by your own fires. This is the reward you will receive from me. You'll soon fall down in great torment. What caught me was that whole Laodicean spirit, they thought they were pretty hot and they weren't. They thought they were blessed because they had all this provision and money and stuff and they weren't. And then we've talked about the fires. How, does, how do we... How do we tend to the fire of God coming? But then he warned us, right? He says, if your eye is filled with darkness, how dark is the darkness, right? So that's why that verse is watch out. If you think the light you have and you're tending your own fire, your reward is going to be great torment. I just think that's a warning to us that we don't want any strange fire. I've listed, there was a couple of priests in the Old Testament, and that's there on 5b. In Leviticus 10, these two priests, they brought strange fire to the altar, and they ended up paying a terrible price. We only want the fire of God that is an acceptable sacrifice to Him, and we want to provide that sacrifice. So let's stand. It's just noontime. Let's stand, and I want to ask if the ministry team would come. If, if you're here this morning and, and you're praying for a breakthrough, We've already crossed over, but just come into agreement with someone here in prayer. So ministry team, you know who you are. We're going to start training a week from this Wednesday on going deeper in the ministry. And so if you want to be part of the ministry team or you're going on a ministry trip or you want to be part of our ministry anywhere, we have ministries all over. I want to make one announcement. I got a phone call last night. First Fruits will be doing a night of worship at uh, 6 o'clock this coming Tuesday from 6 to 8. First Fruits is um, off a shipyard. And so it's a ministry that many of our folks have been involved with for years. Ron Birch, if you have any questions about it, you can ask Ron and, uh, and actually Pat Bradford as well. Uh, but there'll be a time of ministry and worship Tuesday night at 6 to 8. And so 
if you'd like to go to that. We'll have our God night also coming up. Uh, we'll talk about more about that on March 19th, I think it is.